When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily. I'm Jim Salverson, officially drawing a line today under England's failure to win the European Championships. We're not going to be celebrating, we're not going to be looking back, we're going to be looking forward from now on in, eventually to the World Cup and today to the Premier League season, which is just a few weeks away. We're going to be talking mostly transfers today as Premier League teams up and down the land rush to get their houses in order ahead of the start of the new season. And I'm going to be doing that alongside Niall McCorn. How are you doing, Niall? I'm very good. Morning, everyone. It might be Freedom Day in the UK, but it's not Freedom Day for me and Marley because we're back again with another podcast on a Monday. Yes, you season's love not it. far away now. Love it. Marley, how are you doing? How's your uh, sunburn after the weekend's heatwave that hit the UK? Do you know what? I actually haven't got sunburned. The last the last time it was sunny, about two or three weeks ago, I got a proper vest tan, like a proper bad one, because uh, I was wearing <laughs> wearing a vest and no sun cream. So this week I, I learned from it. I put my sun cream on and now I've got a nice sort of, well, I would say tan. It, it, well, it might tan. go into a tan at some <laughs> point, yeah, but it's not not as bad as it was, yeah. At least with Freedom Day today and the official restrictions being lifted in the UK in terms of mask wearing and social distancing, people who are spending some time in the sunshine won't end up with like a, a white beard <laughs> where they've been wearing their mask and been out in the sunshine. It's, to be fair, if anyone comes within 10 foot of me, as the later they're getting punched. So <laughs> purely, purely because it's just too sweaty to come near anyone, so get out my road. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good um, ter- deterrent of getting too close to people, isn't it? Because everyone stinks of sweat. Right, let's talk <laughs> transfers anyway. That is the focus of today's podcast. We're going to be talking in a bit about Chelsea and their quest for someone to lead their attacking line next season. We're going to be looking at some of Arsenal's transfer business. They're making moves in the market, including a potential deal for Ben White as well. The deal has been agreed. It's not over the line yet. There's a way to go. 
but it looks like Arsenal are strengthening this season. And the future of Gabriel Jesus as well at Manchester City is up for debate. He could be off in the direction of Italy to join up with Juventus, but what does that mean for Manchester City and their attacking options next season? But we're going to kick off today by talking about Marcus Rashford. Last week we were talking about the operation that Rashford was going to have on an injury, a shoulder injury. He'd said he was going to miss the beginning of the season, potentially out for two months recovering from that. Over the weekend, and this happened just after Manchester United's pre-season match against Derby County, which they won 2-1, Solskjaer said in his post-match press conference that a decision hadn't been made on whether Marcus Rashford would or wouldn't have his shoulder injury looked at or not. He said that Marcus had gone away to, in his words, reflect on the decision, which is an interesting choice of words and an interesting turn of events as well. I mean, for me, Niall, it was clear that something has been wrong with Marcus Rashford for the last few months of the season and during the European Championships. So he has clearly been carrying an injury and he clearly thought the best course of action was for him to have this surgery. Now, Solskjaer's come out and said, well, we're not entirely sure that is what we're going to do. Is this a classic case of the club putting their interests before the health and well-being of one of their players? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. And we spoke about this last week on the show in terms of Marcus Rashford and this potential shoulder surgery. I don't think it's just a shoulder injury that he's been carrying, by the way. I think there's a couple of other knocks and niggles. carrying his whole team. (laughs) Well, you could say that. Um, uh, It's quite a hefty weight, to be fair, to carry, isn't it? Uh, The weight of Manchester United and indeed the weight of England the other day in that penalty shootout. And we did speak about Rashford in the wake of that and the mural being defaced and subsequently sort of renewed and refreshed, I guess, with so many notes and messages of support over in Withington. So that was brilliant to see. And and it's it's something that's interesting regarding Marcus Rashford, because from what uh, we were discussing last week, there's been a few queries over whether the surgeon that they want to do the injury is available at the right time. And obviously you need to factor in the recovery time. And allegedly, if this surgery does take place soon, Rashford would miss the first two months of the Premier League season. And I'm sure we'll come on to it in terms of United's attacking options and what that means for them going forward for the next campaign. But certainly, even though they do have great attacking talent, to lose someone like Marcus Rashford for two months is a bit of a blow, even for a team as skilled as Manchester United in that forward department. I think Marcus Rashford actually unfairly got a little bit of stick last season because if he was carrying an injury... The numbers he produced were absolutely excellent, I thought. And to to think he's still only 23 years of age, there's still plenty more to come from Marcus Rashford. You know, he's slowly starting to come into his prime now. And it would be a shame if those sort of premium years of his career are chiseled away at by a niggling injury which hasn't been rectified. And sometimes we see this with football players where actually it's quicker in terms of recovery to go under the knife and have a bit of keyhole surgery than it is to just rest. For instance, you know, you can think of many examples over the years of players who have actually opted to go under the knife and have surgery on a niggling injury in because basically that means they can recover quicker. They fix the problem and they only have to recover from the surgery. Whereas if you rest and try and let it heal naturally, sometimes that can take more than twice as long to heal. So I think in terms of the club putting their interests before the players' interests, I think it's a little bit harsh to say that. I don't think we know enough about Marcus Rashford's injury at the moment. I think this is just Ole Gunnar Solskjaer playing with the press a little bit and making sure that he says the right thing, really, because 
I think it's a bit of a boost to the rest of the Premier League if Marcus Rashford isn't available for Manchester United. And if you look at their opening six games of the Premier League campaign, Jim, they start with Leeds, which is arguably their toughest game. But they've also got, I think, Wolves, I think Newcastle United in that time. I think they've got West Ham as well in that time period in the opening six games of the Premier League season. Might be wrong, but certainly the first six games of the campaign, they're certainly ones that Manchester United will be looking at and expecting to pick up a decent amount of points from. Compared to last season where they started the season poorly, I think they lost to Crystal Palace. They only just scraped over the line against Brighton thanks to a penalty that was given after the full-time whistle in those first couple of games. And I think the the feeling generally around Old Trafford is that if you look back at last season, the fact that they didn't pick up enough points in the opening games might well have cost them later on in the campaign. Obviously, they finished second. They still qualified for the Champions League. They got to the Europa League final. But that's not good enough for Manchester United. They want to be leapfrogging the likes of Manchester City and winning titles again. And I think Marcus Rashford is a key component if that was ever to happen. So to lose him for any period of time is a blow. Whether this is the case and he does have surgery, we'll wait and see. But I think this is an interesting one for Manchester United to get their heads around. I mean, the language of Solskjaer's statement was interesting. Not statement, that's probably overblowing it a little bit, the comments he made and the fact that Marcus had gone away to reflect on the decision. It does suggest there is this player versus club potential disagreement there, Marley. I mean, who should have the rights to how they deal with an injury? Is it the player? Should they be able to free to take the route they want or have have they got responsibility to the, cl- to the club for the club to make that decision and kind of look after their investment and manage their players the best way they see fit? Uh, it's it's a tough one, really. It depends on it depends on the situation. But f- for this, I mean, he was clearly playing carrying an injury um, towards the end of last season. We didn't quite see the best of him, and that was easily explained by the fact that he was carrying. I think it was two injuries. He had the shoulder and the foot as well. So, you know, he's 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 playing for the good of the team. So I I just think if you're if you're at this point now, you can give him the the. Uh, the operation as soon as you can and then as soon as you as soon as you get it out of the way the sooner you get him back so I don't really see what this issue is I don't know if there is an issue whether it's just a something Solskjaer said and then thought oh I shouldn't have said that um but it didn't seem like that it did seem a bit more calculated so um yeah I would just let him have this let him have the surgery it's it's obviously going to fix the problem I think if you left it long enough it might fix itself but it might rear its head in six months' time, and then you're knackered because in six months' time you've got, you know, the the knockout stages of the Champions League or the Europa League, whichever one you you're in at that point, um, and then you you sort of fighting the same battle as you were twelve months ago. So, just I would yeah, I would get him booked in tomorrow, me, and then give him the first month maybe of the season if it takes two months to recover. You got three weeks till the season starts or four weeks, and then you got another month where you can leave him out the first four or five games and then welcome him back when the when the season starts to settle down a little bit. So Do Manchester United have the strength and depth to deal with that though, Marley? They've got Cavani yeah. on a new contract for next season. They've probably got Sancho coming in today, tomorrow, sometime this week. Yeah, I I definitely think so, because you've got you've got Martial back, you've got Lingard back, you've got Sancho there, um Pogba, Greenwood, Cavani, you've got plenty there, you know. Even Van der Beek, if you want to give him a random game every now and again, you could probably give him a game, uh, forty million quid. But yeah, um, yeah, I definitely think they've got the uh, the depth, uh, right now. The thing, the thing that what I do think is you might not have the depth in six months when he breaks down with a shoulder injury again, and you might think, oh, 
you know, in if he, if he does go down in six months' time, Lingard might be injured or not producing the form. Martial might be injured or just can't be bothered anymore, like he does seem to do for three or four months of every season. Um, someone else might be injured as well. You might have suspensions or, or games every two days or something like that. So it's um, it makes more sense to get it done now and get it out the the least important part of the season, which is the first sort of ten games, I would say. Retrospectively, Niall, does it feel like there was a missed opportunity here to maybe deal with this at the end of last season, given his form at the end of last season, because it did drop off, even though his numbers were decent, as you've pointed out. He didn't really have much involvement during the European Championships. Do you think, retrospectively, potentially this could have been dealt with tail end of the season, over the summer, and then he could have been back up to speed for Manchester United, if not pre-season, certainly those first few games? It could have been, and I think there must have been discussions between Gareth Southgate and the guys at England and Manchester United, because if you remember, Mason Greenwood was actually included in the squad and then withdrew because he had a bit of a, an issue. I think it was a thigh issue or a hamstring problem. I'm not 100% sure um, from memory at the moment, but he obviously got sent away to recover over the summer, wasn't involved in England's Euro squad. And Manchester United must have been thinking, well, hang on, we've got two lads that aren't 100% fit, Greenwood and Rashford, both go into the Euros here. And they were probably thinking, well, can, can you not just take one to the Euros? Because, you know, if both of them pull up or something happens and they get worse in terms of their injury, that leaves Manchester United two forward players short for the start of next season. There was still no confirmation as to whether the Sancho deal would go through at that time, or at least it was still in negotiations. And it's still yet to be confirmed as we record the podcast. So certainly I think there would have been a few concerns and queries from Manchester United regarding that. But... If I was a football player and England came calling and said, it's a home tournament, you're going to be playing at Wembley, it's a great opportunity in the Euros. I mean, is Rashford really going to say no? Even if he's got a bit of a shoulder problem that's given him jip? I'm not sure I would if it was me. I think if England came calling and it was practically a home tournament, which we've discussed many times on the podcast, to play the games at Wembley... You know, be involved in those knockout games against Germany, be involved in a Euro 2020 final against Italy, and albeit it ended in disappointment for Rashford in particular. Certainly the opportunity of being able to represent England at a major tournament. You know, they come around once every couple of years. You know, the World Cup comes around, you know, even more rarely than that, once every four years. So, I mean, if you're talking about involvements in major tournaments, I think that for a football player... I mean, that's one of the things you look forward to in your career is representing your country at international tournaments. So I think if it was any old summer, for instance, if the Euros had actually taken place last year in 2020 rather than in 2021, I think it would have been a much easier situation to solve for everyone because I think not many people would have minded if Rashford had skipped the Nations League, which seems to be what takes place in the summers to fill the gaps between Euros and World Cups. That seems to be the plan from UEFA. But certainly if England had missed Rashford for a, a Nations League game or a string of games, I don't think too many people would have been bothered if it was for him to go and rectify a shoulder problem. But the fact the Euros was pushed back a year to this summer, I think that might have thrown a bit of a spanner in the works because, as I say, how many major tournaments you get to go to to represent your country, particularly one which is almost 100% on home soil. And England did get to the final, so I think he felt like he was justified in his decision to stick around. Um, 
But then there are some people that suggest that Rashford was selfish because, you know, he wasn't 100% and perhaps he couldn't have offered as much to the team as he would have done if he was fully fit and someone else could have taken his place. I don't think that's fair. I think that you can swing that either way. You can Some people that will say Rashford's selfish for putting himself before the team because he wanted to be involved. Uh, and you can put it the other way. Well, the manager's asked him to be involved and, you know, he's doing everything he can to contribute to the team even despite the fact he's got an injury when when he could theoretically be looking after his health and fitness Mm -hmm. first and foremost ahead of anything else so I think it's an interesting situation I think you're right it could have been sorted out over the summer but if I was Rashford and someone offered me the chance to go to the Euros and the shoulder problem was giving me a bit of an issue but it wasn't too severe I think I still would have gone because it's one of those opportunities like I say which particularly rare to represent your country in what is effectively a home tournament It'll be interesting to see what Rashford now makes of his decision, given the reaction to some fans post-European Championships and what happened in the final, whether he regrets putting his body on the line for the benefit of his country. Um, you mentioned there, Marley, in fact, I think it was you, maybe, Niall, that mentioned Jesse Lingard and his availability. There were also some comments made after the win at Derby County about the future of Jesse Lingard Marley. Um, He was described by Solskjaer as being in his plans at the moment. Does at the moment translate roughly to until Jadon Sancho signs his contract? Uh, I don't don't think so. I think he's just saying... I think it's probably... There hasn't been probably a final decision made on Lingard staying or going, probably from the player rather than, than the club. I, I would assume that he's uh, he's still thinking, like keeping his options open basically until the uh, until the window shuts. Um, I think he wants he, to stay. I think the general consensus is he wants to stay and fight yeah, for his team, or fight for his place rather. But I mean, it depends if he's not going to get opportunities, which I can't see him getting many opportunities in that Manchester United team. Then. I guess if he's told he hasn't got a future, that's when he has to move. It feel, yeah, it does feel like he's. It, it doesn't matter how much he wants to stay. I don't think he'll get the games that he obviously would get at West Ham, for example. But it's it's just tough for him because he, you know, he's a Manchester lad. He's, he grew up supporting them. Um, he plays for them. He's literally living the dream. You know, we were talking last week about playing for your playing for your hometown club and how how different it is. Because he just gives you that bit extra, but if your hometown club doesn't want you, at the end of the day, you know you've got to go and you've got to go and sort of fight your own battle um, at another club who does want you. So, for with with Lingard, I think he's done enough to to get a, a chance. But then you're probably saying with Man United, the one the one place you're going to play is is on the right, um, and Sancho's coming specifically to play on the right. And if the rumours are true about the uh, Man United wanting to play a four-three-three system. I don't think that gets the best out of Lingard in in any way. I don't think he's a right winger in a front three. I think he's more of a um, a midfielder who will come and get the balls from from right midfield or more 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 um, more often a, an attacking midfield place. And if they play with an attacking midfielder, it's obviously going to be Bruno Fernandez. So even though if uh, you know, even though he he might want to stay there, I think probably the best move is is for him to go and play. Um, ideally, at, at West Ham, probably with them being in Europe and and all the rest of it. So, I would uh, I'd maybe re- try and rethink that if I was if I was him because I don't think he's going to get the games that the form over the last six months has showed. I mean, we talk a lot about Lingard 
wanting game time and him wanting to spend time on the pitch, Nile. But actually, he's in a situation, his contract expires next summer at Manchester United. He has him, he spent enough time sitting on the bench. You could just spend another season sitting on the bench and then take a, a great big bumper deal, leaving on a free, signing for, I don't know, Brighton and Hove Albion on a free and getting a massive lump sum to do so <laughs> no disrespect to Brighton I think he's slightly better than that and I think Marley's right probably a team in the bracket of West Ham someone who can afford to pay him the wages that Manchester United pay him or at least subsidize that if it's a loan deal and a team that is in the top half of the Premier League table no doubt Brighton I'm sure is striving to do that but I think on a free transfer I, I, I don't think that's fair for him because you know only three summers ago he was one of the stars of England's World Cup squad that got to the semi-final and I think he's probably he probably looked on this Euros with pride at his teammates and his friends getting so far, but also thinking, wow, how am I going to get into this squad now? Um, interestingly enough, Manchester United have gone away this week to Surrey for a training camp for a week for a bit of team bonding, some fitness and some tactical work. And Jesse Lingard has been included in the group that has gone down to Surrey to p- perform that week's worth of, of training. Um he also played pretty well against Derby. I saw a few highlights of the game. He hit the crossbar, cutting in from the left. Nice curling effort that hit the crossbar. So he does look determined and he does look in form. And I think certainly if you look at the Manchester United squad, um, if Rashford is going to be missing for the first two months of the season, I mean, Jesse Lingard, is that the obvious replacement for him in terms of having someone there? Because obviously Andreas Pereira is another player who was out on loan last season, has had a few games in the first team over the last few years and it probably hasn't really worked out for him so I can't see him sticking around so I think Jesse Lingard has certainly moved up the pecking order Wan Mata is another year older is Jesse mm. Lingard now more effective than Wan Mata in terms of a bench option because of the I form that he... Wan Mata's still at Manchester yeah United. he's just signed a year extension hasn't he so I mean like I say has Lingard moved himself above Mata now in terms of the performances in the form he showed at the end of last season so I understand what Marley's saying and I I probably agree with him in the main that I don't think he's going to get many starts for Manchester United but certainly in terms of coming off the bench and making an impact has he become that player for United now in possibly the absence of Rashford Wan Mata being a year older players like Andreas Pereira possibly not being involved young midfielders like Jimmy Garner and Hannibal possibly going out on loan again so I think there is certainly an opportunity there for Lingard. And I think in terms of experience, he's one of the few Manchester United players in the squad who have experience of winning a major trophy. He obviously won the FA Cup with United, I think in 2016, was it? So apart from, you know, apart from him and Mata and Matic, some of the elder statesmen, the younger players in the Manchester United squad, and that includes Harry Maguire, have never tasted silverware. At any level, you know, Harry Maguire, as accomplished as he is, brilliant performance in the Euros, got to the final, was excellent for Leicester before he signed for Manchester United, never really won a major trophy. So, I mean, I certainly think that Lingard may offer that uh, uh, somewhere along the line for Manchester United this season. Um, But I certainly wouldn't be surprised, put it that way, if he does end up staying for another year, like you say, and possibly moving on for free at the end of his contract. But whatever happens, if he does leave Manchester United, whether that be on loan or a permanent deal, I think he's been a great servant to the club in a period where things have been difficult for United. He's got some great memories and I think that certainly he's still got plenty to offer in the Premier League at a decent level. So it's an interesting one regarding his future. Tasted silverware is a weird phrase, isn't it? It just 
broadcasts visions of people licking the FA Cup. It's very strange. Um, <laughs> one player who might have slightly more chance, although not a lot of chance of lifting some kind of silverware, would be Ben White, whose future might not be at Brighton on the South Coast. It might be at Arsenal. We're going to talk about that next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to talk about Ben White, his move to Arsenal. A deal has been agreed for around £50 million. It would seem we'll talk about that. It's not over the line yet, by the way. But first, I want to get a reaction from Marley about some breaking news that Andy Carroll is now leaving Newcastle United. He hasn't signed a contract extension. Steve Bruce saying that he needs to go and play somewhere is the quote from Steve Bruce as to Andy Carroll's exit from Newcastle. Supposedly it's amicable. I mean, it's probably the right move for the player and the team, Marley. Uh yeah, probably. Um, I mean, it's not. It's. Um, I mean, you probably reach him calling it breaking news. I know it's, it's a bit of a bit of a slow week, I suppose. But yeah, um, it was always obvious he wasn't going to stay with when the uh, there was no contract talks towards the end of the season. Um, he signed a last minute one last year to have another year at the club, and I think he got one goal in two years when uh, when he was when he came back for the sort of homecoming tour. Um, and to be fair, he was he was fit for a long a long a long period of it as well. Like, it it wasn't as if he could couldn't get fit. He, he probably spent the first six months playing fifty percent of the, well, making fifty percent of the squads and being injured for the rest of it. But I think he was, to be fair, he was most effective for us in this second spell as coming on when we were when we were uh, winning or defending games, which obviously wasn't many, um, and coming on and. and <laughs> Heading things away from the, from our from our own box, like if they had a corner, we'd we'd stick him on and he'd head it away, and he became a really good defensive threat. Um, he probably put in more successful slide tackles than than he did scoring goals. But he's um, I've always said like the the one place Carroll should always be is in Newcastle because he's never going to play anywhere as well uh, anywhere as well anywhere else. I should mm. say so. It's probably a bit sad to see him go. He was, he, I remember he had an amazing pre-season last season, um, but obviously he isn't going to get that this season. He's going to end up somewhere else. I don't know where. Because Can he retire? You know, he, he's 32, so he's not old, but he's not young either. No, I, th- I think he's, 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 he seems to love the game too much. I don't, I don't think he's at that point in his, in his career, um, personally. But Las Vegas a, are getting a new MLS team. Be a good fit <laughs> for Andy Carroll. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like five kids to launch over on the plane as well so I do I always feel <laughs> feel for players who like you know I'll get short term contracts because family life must be really strange because he's moved from London to Newcastle for the last two years and then he's going to get let go he's not going to go to Sunderland uh, and stay in that area Middlesbrough might be an option no, they're I well suppose, compensated but... though I don't have to I mean I, I understand yeah. it must be difficult but I don't have a huge um, element of sympathy for that part of their lives well yeah but do you see all the the money Andy Carroll wastes on his Instagram stories <laughs> he's uh <laughs> he's, he's well it must be expensive having a uh socialite wife and uh five kids as well so yeah it's uh it's one of them it's I don't know where he'll go um but I don't I don't see him retiring I, I, he will turn up somewhere I just uh I don't know where Right, let's talk about West Ham could do with a backup striker, I suppose. Right, eight, or just a striker <laughs> would be quite a positive move <laughs> for West Ham. Uh, let's talk about the future of Ben White. Probably more interesting. As I said earlier, Arsenal have agreed to sign him for 50 million quid from Brighton. He's due to have a medical on the 26th of July because he's on his Ollie Bobs at the moment. So it won't be till he gets back from that till any deal is done. 
23 years old, had two really good seasons, Brighton last season and Leeds United the season before in the Championship. They wanted to keep him at Elland Road, but it wasn't to be. It actually feels, and I feel weird saying this about Arsenal, Niall, but it feels like a bit of sensible business. To be fair, I think he has proven his value because in the last two seasons he's had good campaigns. He was probably the standout player for Brighton last season, particularly from a defensive perspective. And the season before that, Leeds fans will remember just how good he was in helping them get back to the Premier League after a long absence. He got in the England squad for the Euros, albeit he didn't play any games, but he was part of the group that got to a final of the European Championships. So you can't deny that he is obviously very talented. I think he's one of those unfashionable players. I think a bit like when Harry Maguire was coming through at Leicester, people were saying, oh, you know, he's just a lumbering English centre-half who's a little bit better with his feet than most. I think he is a, I think he is a good player, Ben White, and I don't think you get the plaudits that you get and you want someone like Marcelo Bielsa to keep you sticking around if you weren't a good player. I think it it just boils down to that very, very simply. What I will say about Brighton is they're very, very good at recruiting centre-halves. I think their defensive department in terms of ball-playing centre-halves, which is the style that Graham Potter wants to play, I think that they've got a very, very good crop of defenders who can do both. I mean, you look at players... um, Uh, you know like I think Dunk who can head and pass the ball um, quite comfortably with the ball at his feet they've got Matt Clark who's been out on loan at Derby County and he's won their player of the season the last two times Dan Byrne who is a giant of a man six for eight but certainly knows how to play the ball out from the back despite his lanky frame and Adam Webster who's also well over six foot and 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 can go on runs from the center of defense through the midfield and start bringing attacking players into play. So they certainly have a blueprint when it comes to their centre-halves. And it's fair to say Ben White is probably the best of the bunch. And he's shown exactly what he's capable of. In terms of whether he will be a good fit for Arsenal, I'm not so sure. But it's quite clear the style that Mikel Arteta wants to play. 50 million quid, some people are saying he's a rip-off. At the end of the day, they've gonna, they're going to save a bit of money on the wages from David Luiz, who I think has left Arsenal now. So if you're looking at wages, I don't think Ben White is going to ask for as much money as David Luiz would have done. At least he arrived at Arsenal for a very nominal fee, or it might have even been a free transfer from Chelsea, but the wages were significant. So, you know, if Luiz has left, that is you know, a, a decent amount of wages freed up in which Arsenal can put into someone like Ben White. Uh, Rob Holding as well is their other centre-half. I think whether those two can perform next to each other. Gabriel is a decent defender, I think. So in terms of the question marks we've had over Arsenal's defence over the last two or three seasons, maybe this is an area that Arteta really does want to address um, sooner rather than later. 50 million quid, some people are saying, is too expensive for Ben White. I don't think that's fair because much like West Ham, who apparently value Declan Rice at 100 million quid, it's one of those things where, you know, people are saying, oh, why are Arsenal spending 50 million quid on Ben White? That's way too expensive. It's like, well, it's it, Arsenal don't choose how much they want to pay for Ben White. That's Brighton's decision. Much like if West Ham decide to sell Declan Rice, if they want him to, if they want to sell him, they say, right, it's 100 million or he's not going. And that is how football transfers work. It, it isn't about what you think he's worth or what you think his value is or what you're prepared to pay for him it's all about what the club who's selling him value him at and if they think that the player is worth more than what you think it's worth that just goes to show how important they are to the team and to sell a player for 50 million I think shows how far Brighton and Hove Albion have come over the years I remember when they were a league one team 
And I'm still shocked they're in the Premier League. And they've stayed there for the last three or four years. I felt similarly about Bournemouth, but Brighton have got a bigger stadium, brilliant infrastructure, a clear plan in place of the style of play, a manager who's very well thought of, not just by Brighton, but also by other managers across the Premier League. So in terms of what they're doing, they're obviously doing things right. They've got Yves Basuma as well, who could be on his way out for an equally large fee. They've developed some good players down there at the Amex and fair play to them because Ben White is probably proven to be their most profitable signing ever. And if he does go to Arsenal, um, it, it just goes to show that it, he is a talent and I hope it works out for him. Obviously, like you say, it's not fully done yet, but all the signs are pointing towards that being Arsenal's next signing. I agree. I think 50 million quid actually isn't too much for a current England international. And I know what people say about the current climate and how spending is going to be this summer, but we haven't really seen any evidence of whether that is going to actually depress player prices or not yet because the market's not really got going yet. And that that background of playing with Bielsa and playing with Potter is going to be the type of player, the the high press, the playing out from the back that you think or we imagine that Mikel Arteta is going to be implementing at Arsenal when he finally starts to bring in players. And it does seem like he's bringing in a few players at the moment, Marley. We'll talk a little bit more shortly about some of the targets for Arsenal over the next month or so. Does this put extra pressure on Mikel Arteta? Because we talked about it last season. I mean, Arsenal were at one point in the season in a relegation battle last year. And obviously there won't be a repeat of that. He says kind of not necessarily looking at how Arsenal tend to have these crises but it feels like they won't be in that situation again this year they do need to strengthen that is going to take money but with that money that's spent that is going to put additional pressure on Mikel Arteta and this season he kind of needs to start making changes doesn't he yeah definitely um I don't think Arsenal have got that much more time with Arteta um, to be honest, I think in terms of, you know, when he first came in, you can say, OK, we'll give him a year or six months to to work it out and see some progression. But like last year was was just a joke, really. Um, the way they sort of lurched from from sort of looking like they were going to turn it round to back into the mire of just losing games and, and you know, silly little um points drop in to, to poorer teams in the league and stuff like that but I think they've got to get it right this season um, and the one thing that would probably give them a bit of hope is that when they went out of the Europa League last year the league form massively improved um, towards the end of the season I think they won like 7 out of the last 8 games or something like that, I might, that might be wrong but it was a significant upturn in form and they ended up finishing um, I think it was 8th in the end so they were they were flirting sort of tenth, ninth, eleventh, sort of week in week out until they went out of the Europa League, um, and then the consistency arrived. So going into this season without any European football might be a little bit of a blessing because you know Arteta was struggling to to make them competitive on on uh, two fronts and three if you include the FA Cup, but. I think he's um, he's got to show something now because you haven't got that excuse of being um, like trying to sort things out and implement a style. Everyone knows what you're trying to do or they should do, um, and everyone you know has has been on board with that style for a couple of years now. So you should be signing players that are going to fit in fairly quickly, like Ben White, for example, um, and can sort of hit the ground running because they haven't got much time to to waste. Really, I think if 
if he struggles again this season, you could, they could be looking for another manager at the end of end of next season if they finish, you know, comfortably outside the top six. Because um, I think Arsenal are a club that is so used to to being in that top four, top six that you know, even though they might not be as good as what they once were, they still feel like they're in the top six in the country in terms of size of club and where they should be. Um, so I think, yeah, Arteta, he needs to get something right quickly. We're going to talk more about Arsenal's transfer business shortly as we do a rumour wrap on Football Social Daily. That is coming up next. Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester City all on the back pages. We'll talk about that next. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Last bit of the podcast today is looking at some of the transfer rumours in our rumour roundup, starting at Chelsea, who seem determined to strengthen their attack this summer. Sky in Germany saying they are leaving no stone unturned, whatever that means, in the pursuit of Erling Braut Hartland. Dortmund have said many times they are not interested in selling the player. The Sky also saying they're not interested in a swap deal of any kind. Chelsea clearly want this player, Niall. Dortmund clearly don't want to let him go. Is it just going to be a case at the end of the day of whether Chelsea can slap enough money on the table to pique Dortmund's interest? I think that's exactly what it is. And especially if Dortmund sell Jade and Sancho, and we've spoken about this a couple of times before too, you know, people have said Dortmund are selling Jade and Sancho to Manchester United. They don't want to lose Sancho and Haaland in the same summer. But I think if Chelsea turn up with an offer to the tune of 110, 120, perhaps even more million pounds or euros, then I certainly think Dortmund would be foolish not to listen to that. And the reason I say that is because he's got a release clause next summer, and I believe it's significantly less than what Chelsea would have to offer him to get him now. The vultures will be circling, the piranhas will be swimming around next summer if they know that Haaland is available for 70 million euro and he has another excellent goal scoring season for Dortmund. And I guess the choice then will be in Erling Haaland's hand because he's a prized asset at the moment and he's currently Dortmund's asset. But that release clause of 70 million euro looks all of a sudden a bargain and there will be plenty of clubs that will trigger that and that will be interested in that. And then basically the striker gets to choose where he wants to go. Whereas if it's only Chelsea interested at the moment and they pay, you know, 50 million more than that release clause, let's say 120 million euro, then effectively they're the only team in the running at the moment. Now Dortmund obviously want to keep him. And I can understand that because he's a hell of a striker and it probably gives them a little bit of time to figure out a replacement. Albeit, we've also mentioned on this podcast how good Dortmund are at finding replacements. But definitely, I feel that if Chelsea put enough money down on the table, which they are capable of, then they might be able to lure him away a season earlier and beat the competition. And I think that's important. And, you know, there's this old saying in football, and it's even been mentioned by uh, Haldun Amabarak, the chairman of Manchester City. You need to strengthen when you're on top. And at the moment, in terms of European football, Chelsea are one of the top teams. They've just won the Champions League. And let's not forget, that comes with a huge boost in profits. I think it's around 100 million quid that you get for winning the Champions League. So what's that really to Roman Abramovich, uh, as wealthy an owner as he is, if most of the money from winning the Champions League gets invested in a striker like Erling Haaland. And, you know, if you talk about net spend, which I know is something people like to talk about these days, you know, Chelsea have sold Giroud. They're likely to sell a a cluster of loan players, which 
they seem to have hundreds of that always keep them topped up in terms of the transfer coffers. Um, I think that it wouldn't surprise me if Chelsea go in with a massive, massive offer. I think Marley said this last week on the podcast. It almost feels like now or never. If they are going to get Erling Haaland, they kind of have to act now because, like I say, the vultures will be circling for 70 million euro next summer. Um, even if he doesn't score as many goals this season for Dortmund, if he does stay and you know, it isn't as effective or prolific a season this year. It still seems a bit of a bargain, doesn't it? 70 million, someone of his age, his physical ability, uh, his confidence. You know, the Premier League is a pretty brutal place though and Chelsea have had a few dud strikers over the years. I remember Hernan Crespo when he first went to Chelsea. Everyone was saying just how amazing a striker he was for AC Milan came to Chelsea did okay didn't really work Andriy Shevchenko another example more recently Alvaro Morata was a player who was signed for big money and didn't work when it comes to playing up front Fernando Torres another famous example who signed for Chelsea for big money I think it was 50 million which was a lot of money 10 years ago and it didn't work out for him I'm not saying it's not going to work out for Haaland but certainly when you sign for Chelsea and they've paid big money for you there always tends to be that stigma that comes with it. And I think we're seeing that already with Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. Havertz has scored a goal in the Champions League final. But there are still some people that are saying, oh, well, you know, he's, he's not producing the numbers that Hazard used to produce when he cost pretty much the same amount of money as Chelsea sold Hazard for to Real Madrid. So I think there are always going to be these nuances when it comes to the transfer market. But um, let's make no bones about it. He's a hell of a player and Chelsea are an extremely rich club. So in terms of the possibilities, I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea do go in with a massive offer. We are talking probably in the region of 120 million quid for Haaland. And it's probably going to be a similar transfer fee if Harry Kane is to leave Spurs. And there are all sorts of rumours going around this weekend that Harry Kane was going to down tools and not turn up to Tottenham training camps in order to force that move. If you're Chelsea, you've got 120 quid, Marley. Where'd you put it? Haaland, who is this young, very promising player, you're paying a lot for the potential there, or Harry Kane, who still got plenty of miles left on the clock, but is a proven goal scorer, and you just know if he joined Chelsea, I think that's, that's golden boot wrapped up, isn't it? So where would you pay? Where would you put your 120 million quid if it's one or the other? I'm glad you changed that to 120 million quid because I think you said 120 quid at first. <laughs> I don't, really? I don't <laughs> think that would get a, an hour, an hour of any of them's time, to be honest. Sig- well, it get the signature to be fair, then you could just get the signature, put it on a contract, <laughs> and go. Oh, <laughs> tricked you. <laughs> um, to be fair, of, of the two, I would, if I was Chelsea, I would go for for Haaland. Um, I always think there's too much. It's too much of a of an excuse already there if you sign a guy from Spurs and and he doesn't quite do the exact same thing as he has done. You you know the fans will write him off that little bit quicker. Um, and if this this Chelsea curse of the of the strikers has been, you know, if that rears its head again, I think you've got a ready made excuse there. So um, for me, I would go for Haaland. He's got more more miles on the clock. He's got. Um, the potential is is scary um, of of the guy, considering how good he is now, and the fact that he's only in his early early twenties is absolutely insane. Um, if you can nurture him into becoming, you know, one of the best strikers in the world, then you know, in five years' time, if Real Madrid or Barcelona want him, or three years' time, what's the what's the market value going to be there? It's going to be over two hundred million. You're looking at a world record fee to uh, to prize him away from you. So. It's if you spend it now and they come and it comes good, you're never going to lose your money. Um, even if 
even if he becomes a superstar and starts paying for himself in in terms of uh, sponsorship deals that you attract, um, and all kind all kinds of sort of advertising stuff, it it might just take your club to a new level. So when you when you um, when you put all that into the the package, you almost start justifying the the massive fee now. So if you can bid hundred and thirty million. 150 million you can raise 40 50 million pounds through player sales to offset it a little bit it almost it all of a sudden doesn't become anything sort of that you've not spent before you've just spent 70 on habits for example and 50 for Werner. so you know you can get to those those levels of of um of expenditure so yeah i think um i would go for him i mean kane of kane's obviously fantastic striker of course but you know, you might get three years out of him, and his ankles might go. Um, in you know, we, we, he's had ankle problems for the last few years, missing months of the season here and there, and you know, four to six weeks, three or four times a season sometimes. Um, and he's probably going to cost as much, if not more, in terms of uh, transfer fee and wages right now. So, for me, I would go for the younger guy, um, take a bit more of a chance on uh, on his signing, and, and try and get Haaland for for whatever it costs this this summer because I think more clubs will be in next summer. Man City will be waiting to pay that £75 million release clause next summer without a doubt. Real Madrid might want him as well because they're trying to sign Mbappe and Haaland, I think. They've already got a plan in place for Mbappe to get him on a free. Um, and if they can get you know, if you can get Mbappe and Haaland for a combined £75 million transfer fee next summer, you're laughing, aren't you? So... You know, I think it's it. It's like I said last week. It's now or never for Chelsea. I think you should just go all in for him um, and try and get him over the line as quickly as possible. And Giroud joined AC Milan over the weekend as well, Jim. So that is a slot freed up for a striker. And obviously they've got Batshuayi, who I don't think will stick around. Tammy Abraham, who doesn't seem to be favoured by Tuchel. But there is a gap there for a, another striker now that Giroud's moved on. So certainly wouldn't be surprising if Chelsea do bring someone in at least, even if it isn't Haaland. You mentioned Manchester City there, potentially looking at Haaland in the future. Well, they might be short a striker come the end of this transfer window because Gabriel Jesus is being linked with a move to Juventus, according to Calcio Mercato. He's got two years left on his Manchester City deal. Not quite worked for him at City. Is that kind of what he needs, potentially, Niall? Because we've seen flashes of good football from Gabriel Jesus. He just hasn't seemed to really fit in at City. So does he need a fresh start? And could Italian football be what suits his game? Yeah, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago because I think Danilo, who used to play at Manchester City and is now at Juventus, spoke to the press and said, you know, I'd love for Gabriel Jesus to come here. He's a friend of mine. And I think he was just asked the question and he wasn't going to say, oh, no, he's a dick. I don't fancy him coming to play with me. Um, (laughs) He wasn't ever going to say that, was he? They're both Brazilian. And I think they're both mates from their time at Manchester City. In terms of it not working out for him at City, I don't think that's fair to say. I really don't. I th- I don't understand this idea that Gabriel Jesus isn't as isn't that good. I mean that that's just a load of nonsense. His goal I don't rec- think people think he's not that good. I think the general consensus from City. Oh, why fans, has it not worked out for I don't him? Think then? He's he's not a stepped into the role that people expect. He came to Manchester City with such hype around him, didn't he? There was a real expectation that he was the natural progressor progressor to Sergio Aguero, and he is a very very good player. But I think the general consensus among Man City fans is he's not good enough for the standard of football they want to be playing and he's not clinical enough in terms of finishing the chances he gets. He scored 50 Premier League goals in 131 games. 
That's not bad, is it? That's better than one in three. <laughs> pretty good. It's a pretty good record. And I think therein lies the problem. The fact that you said, you know, people were expecting him to be the heir to Sergio Aguero and step into his shoes. I mean, just take a step back and think about how difficult that is. Mm. Most hat-tricks ever scored by a Premier League player, most goals ever scored by an overseas Premier League player, most goals ever scored by a Manchester City player, most goals ever scored by a Manchester City player in the Premier League, multiple trophies, multiple Man of the Match awards, multiple Player of the Month awards. I mean, I mean, the list could go on in terms of Sergio Aguero's achievements. You know, the most famous goal in Manchester City history... I mean, how unfair is that on Gabriel Jesus, who was, I think, only 19 or 20 when he arrived at the Etihad, for him to be labelled as this guy to step into the shoes of Sergio Aguero? And now Aguero's finally moved on, and I understand that they do need to fill that gap, but it's almost an impossible job. And if you're Mm. scoring 50 goals in 131 Premier League games and you're still not considered up to the task, then it's almost an unforgivable task. So I understand Gabriel Jesus in terms of people saying that you know, maybe he's not quite clinical enough and Harry Kane up front, I think, is a better option than Gabriel Jesus. I, I don't think that's up for debate. I think we all know that Harry Kane is probably a better striker. But to say that Gabriel Jesus isn't good enough to play for Manchester City, I think that's a load of nonsense. I think he's proven that he absolutely is good enough to play for Manchester City, uh, to come in and adapt from a we've young age. We've seen on many occasions, we've seen Pep Guardiola not play him and almost prefer... And I know you can't kind of second guess Guardiola and what's going on in his head and what he wants to do at certain times, but not call on him to lead the line when there has been the opportunity to do so and when he's been the only fit available striker that he's had, which which I think automatically causes you to question his future at the club, doesn't it? Well, he also did that with Aguero, who's their mm. highest ever scoring striker. Didn't play Aguero for most of the last season, probably knowing that he was on his way out anyway. So, I mean, I think the argument in general is entirely flawed because... You know, if you're saying, oh, well, he didn't get many games last season, uh, you know, if Pep wants to play without a striker and wants to play Ferran Torres or a wide player with a bit of pace through the middle instead of Aguero or Jesus, um, you know, therefore his days are numbered. Well, I mean, Sergio Aguero, the record that that man's got is phenomenal and he wasn't getting a look in last season. He was even complaining during one game last campaign, if I remember, that players weren't passing to him. You know, this is a guy who's done everything in the Premier League and everything for Manchester City. So I just, I, I just don't think that... I think this whole idea that the reason Jesus is moving on is because Pep doesn't fancy him and, you know, there's an issue there with his quality. I mean, you don't get clubs like Juventus interested in you if you're not a decent striker. And I think Gabriel Jesus here, I think it's probably caught up in a little bit here and there, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Pep Guardiola, I think, is changing his style ever so slightly at Manchester City. Played the majority of last season without a striker, cantered to the Premier League title. Even Aguero wasn't getting games last season, as good as he is, when he was fit, fully fit at that. So I think that that answers a question in itself. I mean, if he does move on and they replace him with Kane, I don't think City fans would be too worried. But certainly, I think in terms of Jesus being questioned as to his quality, I think he'd get into pretty much every other Premier League side definitely in the squad at least there's, there's, I don't think there's any debate about that I think he's a very very good striker and maybe it would be a bit like Lukaku when he was at Manchester United went over to Inter Milan scores truckloads of goals and you know is a contender for the golden boot at the Euros and maybe Gabriel Jesus if he does move to Juventus will show everyone once again just what a good striker he is 
Well, I think it will be interesting to see what Pep Guardiola does from here. If Jesus does leave, he's said many times that they're not in the market for a new striker. But we know there's that interest there with Harry Kane. If that doesn't come through, maybe you need a striker that's potentially happy to sit on the bench a little bit, needs to rest a ageing and injured body. I think we're only a few weeks away from seeing Andy Carroll announce his next move as the striker for Manchester City going into the next season. Mark my words, watch this space. Final transfer stop is going to be Arsenal. We spoke about them a little bit earlier. Now, Fabrizio Romano has been tweeting about their potential pursuit of Manuel Locatelli, who is one of the stars of the Italy team during the World Cup, available for around 34 million quid. That's the asking price. They're also after Max Ahrens from Norwich. That's according to the Express. I mean, Arsenal have been linked with pretty much every single player in Europe, I think, over the last couple of months. There's certainly a rebuilding project to do there, as we've mentioned. Let's start with Locatelli, Marley. 34 million quid seems like a deal to me. I think that seems like a really good price. So if that is the value, it would be surprising that there weren't more Premier League teams potentially looking at him. Nah, I don't think they'll get him. Uh, from all sort of angles, it looks like Juventus are interested, and if you're an Italian player and Juventus mm. are interested, you don't go to Arsenal. Um, I'm afraid. I think they're, they're wasting their time with this one. Um, people people call him a star of Euro 2020 because he scored two goals in one game, and then he never played. He never started another game, I don't think, after that. So, you know... <laughs> He's one of, yes, he was in the Italy squad, but he was behind, you know, everyone. Verratti, obviously, is a good player. Barella, good player as mm-hmm. well. But, you know, I'm I'm not sure there's, look, I'm sure he's a good player, but I'm not sure, you know, how, I mean, 34 million is not that expensive. And I kind, I kind of think that's why, that's the type of level of play you're getting. You're not getting a 70 million, 80, 80 million pound player for a bargain, you know, he's just he's he's a good player, but he's that's it. He's a good player. Um, you got to bear in mind, Milan let him go not that long ago as well. Yeah, he's one of them because he need he, he was never getting a chance at Milan, and he, he needed to go and uh, go and play his football, and he, he's done that. Sassuolo, he's done really well, but still, you know, if Juventus are interested, I don't think you go anywhere else. I think if you're if you're Arsenal, I'd, I'd be looking at uh, bringing back Aaron Ramsey or something. If if he does go to Juventus, Juventus need to get rid of a midfielder and. Why not bring back Aaron Ramsey or someone like that, so or just someone else? Because I I just don't think he's he's ever gonna realistically turn down a, a move to another the biggest Italian club in the country to then come to Arsenal and risk it and you know play in a team that might finish in the top eight if you're lucky. Um, didn't finish in Europe last season. I just think there's so much more to offer in a lot of other places. Um, but from a selfish perspective, I hope they do get him because I want Joe Willock at Newcastle next year. So <laughs> that's another centre midfielder who uh, who might push him down the pecking order and, and drive him closer to Bruce Ball for a second year. <laughs> what about the other name on that list then, Niall? Max Ahrens. I mean, he stayed with Norwich City last season. That felt like when he was in the league last summer after their relegation from the Premier League. Now he's being linked with a move away again. Do you think he feels like he's paid... Norwich City back for the loyalty they've shown in him by showing loyalty with them getting them back into the Premier League so we'll look for a move away now or do you think it increases the chance of him staying at Norwich the fact they are now in the Premier League I think this is a really difficult one because as we know he's an England under 21 international he caught the eye two seasons ago when Norwich were last in the Premier League and he doesn't turn 22 until January so he's still a very young player and 
his quality is undoubted. The fact that he's impressed, you know, so often at the age of just 21, I think that shows that the future is really bright for him. In terms of Norwich City, I don't think the fans there would begrudge him a move away. I think that they can understand that he is a bright young prospect and, you know, may well be being eyed up by some of the bigger clubs in the Premier League. But like you say, Jim, the fact that Norwich are back in the top flight um, may well give him another opportunity to show exactly what he can do. And we've seen Norwich kind of have players move on. Um, One went to Newcastle, one went to Everton. So there are other Premier League clubs interested in in Norwich City players, at least from the last time they're in the Premier League. No, Emi Buendia has now gone to Aston Villa. Um, If you look at some of the younger players as well, players like Todd Cantwell was someone who was being linked with a move to, to clubs like Arsenal and the like. The last time Norwich were in the Premier League, did, did well last season again, another good season, getting them back up from the championship, but no such links this summer. And maybe it is just a case of waiting and seeing how Norwich City do this campaign because I think that there's no doubting that Max Ahrens is a, is a very, very good player, but the links do seem a little bit quiet and a little bit tenuous. So who knows? I think he's shown exactly what his quality is and the fact that he's made, I think, over 100 appearances already for Norwich City by just the age of 21 is an excellent testament to his quality and his skill set. And young players are obviously uh, the best assets in terms of transfers because, you know, if Aaron's goes on to become, you know, a, a real top player in the Premier League and he signs for someone like Arsenal... Um, you know, in terms of the profit that a club could make on him, that increases exponentially because if you're investing in a young player, you're getting those years out of them, whether it be their prime years or they move on somewhere else for a big fee. And maybe that's Norwich's thought process. Who knows? Be a Mr Norwich if he does leave for Arsenal. That is it for Football Social Daily today. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you click follow on this podcast. You'll never miss an episode. You can get the latest transfer news and team news on your team at the Sport Social website, sport-social.co.uk. Or if you've got an Amazon smart speaker or a Google Home smart speaker for that matter, you can ask it to enable Sport Social and you can get updates every day on your team and what exactly they are doing in the transfer window right the way up till when the season kicks off again, which is only in a few weeks' time. Niall, Marley, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Cheers. We'll see you next time for Football Social Daily. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.